Welcome to Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction, addressing the essential needs of the whole shooter. Your host, Tom Bushy, addresses tips, tactics, and tantamount Second Amendment issues of the week. Class is now in session. Welcome everyone to the AKS podcast for the week of March 9th, 2020. This week, pro-liberty candidates and advocates step up. And the great need for those candidates and advocates. What to do when your gun goes click at the worst moment. Don't be white. And this week's story time. Getting started, we're starting off with a quote from Cesar Beccaria. Who is that? Well, let me tell you. Have you ever seen on countless bumper stickers on countless pickup trucks throughout the uh, throughout the South and rural America? Certainly, we have plenty of them here in South Central Pennsylvania. If you outlaw guns, only outlaws will have guns. You see that all over the place. And of course, the uh, powers that be, the uh, elites that are bent on gun control, they will look at that and they scoff thinking, what stupid hillbilly logic is that? Well, I came across the writings of Cesar Beccaria, known as the father of modern criminal law and justice. And he wrote a document called On Crimes and Punishment that was published in 1764. Now, Cesar was uh, very influential in the framers of our Constitution, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, not uh, the least of which, who had a hard time actually agreeing on many things. But they did agree on the Second Amendment, and they both admired Cesar. Uh, quite a bit. Well, keeping in mind our opening quote for today, uh, if you outlaw guns, only outlaws will have guns. Okay, keep that in mind and listen to what uh, the Italian Cesare Beccaria wrote uh, back in 1764. I'm going to try to get through this without stumbling too much. It's written in Old English or Old Italian translated to Old English. The laws which forbid men to bear arms only disarm those who are neither inclined nor determined to commit crimes. Can it be supposed that those who have the courage to violate the most sacred laws of humanity and the most important in the civil code will respect the lesser and more arbitrary laws? These laws make the victim of attack worse off and improve the position of the, of, of the assailant. They do not reduce the murder rate, but increase it, because the unarmed man can be attacked with more confidence than an armed man. Well, uh, I, I just I read that, and it's just kind of funny how you can hear throughout, uh, if you outlaw guns, only outlaws will have guns. Uh, the laws which forbid men to bear arms only disarm those who are neither inclined nor determined to commit crimes. Right there it is. And then he goes on to ask, can it be supposed that those who have the courage to violate the most sacred laws of humanity, like don't kill each other, and the most important in the civil code will respect the lesser and more arbitrary laws? In other words, is someone who is bent on killing someone else is bent on killing someone else and doesn't care if there's a law against it or not, do you think that they're going to be concerned about obeying laws against having firearms? Uh, No. In a word, no. So these laws make us worse off, us as the potential victims, because the guy who doesn't care if there's gun laws or not knows that we're defenseless 
and makes us easy targets. So all that is tough to fit on a bumper sticker, so we in Redneck America have condensed it for y'all. Bless your heart. All right, well, of, by, and for the people. Remember that government that we were supposed to have, of, by, and for the people? Well, there was a really neat story coming out uh, after the primaries in uh, North Carolina recently. The primary for the North Carolina lieutenant governor, okay, the GOP primary, was won by a man named Mark Robinson. Do you remember Mark Robinson? I confess, I didn't remember his name, but when I saw the video that has made him somewhat legendary, I remembered him very well. He was uh, in a video that was getting passed around YouTube, Facebook, all over the place, where he was giving an impassioned speech uh, to the Greensboro, North Carolina City Council um, on not instituting more gun control. And they were having a meeting about that in response to the shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School down in Florida. He gave a great speech. And uh, one, of, one of the signature lines that he came up with, not too fancy, he's not a fancy guy, but he says, who's going to protect the majority? I am the majority. I am the majority, simply meaning that he is a freedom-loving, law-abiding citizen. And he went out to point the illogic, Cesar Beccario would have been proud, he went on to point out the illogic of implementing gun laws to protect citizens from criminals using guns. I think we've already covered that in the Cesar Beccaria quote, so we don't need to spell out how illogical that notion is. Well, this guy who came out of nowhere and just showed up at the city council meeting back in 2018 ran for lieutenant governor. He ran in a field of eight Republicans going for that same position. One of them was a sitting, I think he's a sitting, or at least a former U.S. senator. So he had lots of name recognition, well, Mark Robinson won the primary by 30%. He won the primary by 30% of the vote. Now, you think if, if all eight of those people got roughly the same amount of votes, if it was an eight-way tie, they would have each gotten 12.5% of the vote. But Mark Robinson won by 30% of the vote. That is a very decisive victory. Oftentimes when you see uh, multiple candidates in state elections uh, running at the same time, uh, you usually end up with not a real clear majority and then they have a runoff over the top two. Well, not necessary in Mark Robinson's race. He will advance to the general election in uh, November for Lieutenant Governor of the state of North Carolina. That is an awesome story. So here's an instance where being right simply does not get the victories. But being right and refusing to shut up about it will get the job will get the job done, excuse me. So good luck to Mark and the state of North Carolina in the upcoming general election. A victory for him will be awesome. It will be awesome for North Carolina and it will be awesome for the United States because it will show we are still a freedom-loving people. Now, the uh, government that uh, we need to put down, uh, there's, there's just no shortage of stories as to their elitism 
and their thirst for power and control over the general citizenry. That's why, that's why I kind of headlined the story about Mark Robinson. The headline I wrote for that was of, by, and for. Because he is showing what government of, by, and for the people is all about. He saw a situation, he didn't like it, he spoke up, and he ran, and he's advancing to be part of the government that is supposed to be of the people, for the people, and by the people. So that's great. But we have a few stories, and I just cherry-picked a few stories, like I always do, because there are so many stories of the government abusing its power and trying to take freedom away from the general citizenry, the people. So, uh, well, th this one is kind of the flip side of that. And here's my first example, and I'm already giving you an exception. Uh, Representative Thomas Massey, he's a Republican in Kentucky, introduced House uh, Resolution 5716. And he calls it the Second Amendment for Every Registrable Voter Act. It's a bit of a mouthful. He uses the acronym SAFER, which that's a little bit easier to say, but he is uh, proposing that we reduce the minimum age that individuals need um, to purchase handguns from FFLs, from federal licensed uh, dealers. And uh, it's, it's complicated. There are all kinds of age limits when it comes to firearms. How old you can be to own them, how, long, how old you can be to purchase them, how old you can be to purchase them privately. Uh, it's, it's kind of silly and complicated. But uh, Representative Massey wants to make it so that 18 years old is the minimum age. That's reducing it from 21. That 18 years old will be the minimum age that a citizen needs uh, in order to purchase a handgun from an FFL legally. Now this is this is a little challenging, I must admit. Okay, the older I get, the younger 18-year-old seems. Not to mention how young 16-year-old seems to be for driving automobiles. You see some of these kids behind the wheels, and you think, "Good Lord, they should be driving baby buggies." But I, you know, when my kids were 16, 17, 18, they started driving too, and you know nobody wants to uh, be driving forever to soccer practice. So we get those kids licensed, and we take them uh, to get their license so they can drive themselves to all their stuff, and we can stay home and read a magazine. There are lots of minimum age limits for quote-unquote adult activities throughout the United States, throughout the states of the United States, and also federally in the United States. There's lots of them. Like, you have to be 16 to drive. Some states go as early as 15. The Fair Labor Standards Act places a minimum age of 14 for businesses to employ minors. You have to be 18 years old in some states to purchase beer, but the harder stuff uh, can be purchased only once the individual is 21. Young males must register for the draft at age 18 and are more than welcome to serve in harm's way when they're 18 years old. The current voting age is 18. You have to be 21 years old nationwide, uh, that's just fairly recent, to purchase tobacco products. You have to be 21 currently to purchase a handgun from a licensed dealer. 
You can't rent a car until you're 25, but at least when you turn 25, uh, if you've kept your nose clean, your uh, insurance rates get to go down, especially if you're a 25-year-old male. And lastly here on my list is that you aren't eligible to be elected president uh, of the United States until you turn 35. Well, let's run down these activities uh, that I have cited as examples of uh, activities that we have placed minimum age requirements for and examine whether or not any of them involve the risk, the physical risk to self or others. Well, uh, how about driving? Absolutely. How about employment? Well, for many jobs, yes. What about, you know, kids handling food? There's all kinds of things that a irresponsible or even malicious teenager, young teenager could do to make people very sick or even die. Uh, consumption of alcohol. Yep, definite risk to self and others. Military service. 100% absolutely risky business. And thank you all who decided to do that for us. Consumption of tobacco. Absolutely. Car renting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lower car insurance. Well, you know, maybe that one doesn't fit. Serve as president. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely a risk of uh, personal safety. Uh, how about voting? Well, yeah, and as much as if you are eligible to vote, you are a participant in the election process that that advances people to positions of leadership like president and senators and congressmen and they definitely have in their decisions that they make and policies that they support they definitely have bearing on personal safety uh how about purchasing a firearm well of course of course it is so we're all over the map here when it comes to age of maturity and responsibility you know sometimes for some things uh, 15 or 14 is age of maturity and responsibility for something that has bearing on public safety all the way on up to 35 years old well we're all over the map there when you put it that way when I put it that way I think because I think I've done a good job here uh, when I put it that way it seems rather obvious that maturity and responsibility are not functions of chronology it's not like you can map out uh, at what birthday are you going to achieve a certain level of maturity or a certain level of responsibility. When, you, when I spell it out like that, doesn't it seem rather obvious? You can probably think, as I can, of lots of youngins who are very mature beyond what we would say beyond their years, right? And we can also think of older people, some very old people, that uh, you just wonder, gee whiz, how have they stayed in the gene pool as long as they have, being as stupid and irresponsible and immature as they are? Let's be honest, we've all seen those people, and we know them. All right, well, aside from the age of president, which is spelled out in Article 2, Section 1 of the Constitution, and conscription for military service, Article 2, Section 8, none of these ages are constitutionally set. So, should the government change the minimum age to 18 for the purchase of handguns? Okay, so let's rephrase that question and say, should the government change the minimum age to 18 that someone, a citizen, a legal voting eligible to serve in the military citizen can exercise their constitutional rights? Well, 
I still look at these young kids and I still see kids that I teach and it makes me a little uncomfortable, but I cannot get to any other answer than yes. The minimum age should be 18. I can't get past all these inconsistencies on who's responsible at what age with respect to what activity. Can't get past those inconsistencies. And I can't get past the nanny government thing where the government has put themselves in charge of taking care of uh, wiping our noses, wiping our butts, and taking, uh, making sure that we don't uh, roll out of bed or, or, or drink or engage in any kind of dangerous activities according to them. It's not the government's responsibility to keep us all safe from ourselves. I can't get past uh, the concept of infringing on the rights of 18 to 20-year-old citizens. I can't get past our willingness to put these young adults, these young citizens, in charge of millions of dollars of lethal machinery and using that lethal machinery and putting their very lives uh, at extreme risk for our sake and our safety and our liberty. Do you disagree? Well, if you do, it's okay. You can disagree because there are a whole lot of 18 to 20 year olds who gave their lives so that we have that right to disagree. Okay, so there's one story where uh, somebody in government is trying to go in the right direction, in the direction of liberty. Uh, I can't get past what's going on in my own state where the uh, state attorney general of Pennsylvania, Joshua Shapiro, issued a legal opinion back in the at the very end of 2019, stating that uh, the purchase of 80% lowers or partially manufactured receivers uh, would now require a background check before a purchase. He just he just said that, and then the state and the state police are supposed to act as though it were law. So I have some problems with that. Uh, first of all, we, we've covered this story in the past. Uh, if you have missed it and you're not familiar, um, the products called partially manufactured receivers are pieces of material that have been manufactured or machined some with an eye of getting finished by somebody else and assembling it into a firearm. And the, the part called the receiver is the part that houses the trigger assembly and also handles the ammunition. So that, that receiver, you have to get a background check if you buy one that's fully manufactured. But until uh, Attorney General Shapiro opened his mouth, you did not have to get the background check for a partially manufactured receiver. So on January 31st, the Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania issued a preliminary injunction to prevent this Pennsylvania State Police from endorsing or enforcing, I should say, this opinion. That's a little victory for the good guys. That means the state police cannot act on the notion that a partially manufactured receiver is uh, indeed a background check uh, item for purchase. So the big thing, if the uh, attorney general had his way, would be that federal firearm-armed licensed dealers would be required to run a background check through the Pennsylvania Instant Check System if you were to attempt to buy from them a partially manufactured receiver. Uh, 
The biggest legal question about the uh, Attorney General's interpretation is how blurry the line is between a chunk of material and a partially manufactured receiver. At what point in the manufacturing process does that hunk of material become a receiver, as, as the classification says, uh, readily convertible to a firearm? Well, there is no hard, fast line as to when it becomes a, a PMR. It's, it's completely up to interpretation. So, conceivably, you could get a chunk of metal that's large enough to manufacture a receiver out of and need to get a background check. Imagine going to a, a metal supplier, plastic supplier, and wanting to buy a certain alloy, and then it's on the list. It's on the list as a material that is used in the manufacture of firearms. Well, just to get that hunk of material, it could get easily get to the point where you have to go through a background check just to get that kind of material. So that's way out of hand. Um, that's the biggest legal question. Personally, I find it offensive that the government is going to increase its its tentacles weaving into private citizens pursuing their exercise of the constitutional right. They cannot stand the notion that someone could own a gun that they don't know about. Well, I got news for them. Manufacturing your own guns is not new. It's not something that just came out in the last 10 years. We have been doing that since the beginning of this nation, since the colonization of this dirt that we're all standing on, assuming you're standing on United States dirt. It's nothing new. It's, what is new is the government's insistence that they have their hands in your business and that they uh, can put some kind of legal block into you exercising your rights. They see it as a threat to their desire to be all-knowing and all-powerful and uh, protect their own skin from a citizenry that may eventually decide that this has crossed the line to tyranny. But we don't have any weapons anymore because they have managed to institute all kinds of gun control and control on materials that we could use to make weapons to defend ourselves from other people and most importantly a tyrannical government all right well that's what's going on uh i've, I've strayed from my notes here so i'm trying to figure out where i'm at we should be grateful to the firearms policy coalition it's a national organization that saw this very quickly and enacted uh the paperwork to uh, form this injunction against uh the pennsylvania state police acting uh, in accordance with uh, Joshua Shapiro's opinion. All right, enough said about that. I could go on, but it probably wouldn't be coherent. Well, is it legal? Is it moral? Is it wise to clean your gun while you're intoxicated? There's a story here from uh, News 5, Cleveland, Ohio, where an Ohio man, Frederick Weber, usually we say a Pennsylvania man, excuse me, usually we say a Florida man on stories like this, but that man is from Ohio now. So we're giving Florida a break this week. Uh, Frederick Weber was arrested in his own home because he was cleaning his unloaded shotgun 
while drunk. He was home. He was drunk. He was cleaning his gun, which was unloaded, and was arrested. Well, how did the police know that he was drunk and cleaning his gun? Well, his wife told on him. His wife called the police. They responded. They saw the man with his unloaded shotgun, and they issued a field sobriety test. He failed. He was convicted of using weapons while intoxicated. Well, there's lots of questions that we were brought up. Questions are good things to ask. We don't always know all the details of these stories that we see, and it raises our eyebrow, but we can certainly ask questions. Uh, one is, is cleaning an unloaded gun classified as using the weapon? Where was the ammunition? Was the ammunition in the room? Uh, we like to promote gun cleaning with no ammunition in the room. Uh, it certainly should be an empty gun. You don't want to clean your gun when it's still got one in the chamber. Uh, some people, they're a little lax and they will empty the gun with their ammo, but they'll keep it on a counter or put it in a cabinet in the room where you're cleaning your gun. Okay, but this guy had no ammunition in the gun, whether it was in the room or in a cabinet somewhere or another room, we don't know. It was empty, he was cleaning it, and he was intoxicated. Now, was Weber drunk when he started cleaning his gun? Did he get his gun, unload it, and put it on the counter, and uh, pop open a cold one, and start drinking and cleaning, drinking and cleaning, drinking and cleaning? Which... Could be hazardous to your health, right? You think you're picking up your Corona and you end up picking up your uh, your cleaner? You know, that, that, that could be pretty yucky and hazardous to your health. But was he drunk when he started? When was the gun unloaded? Did he have the loaded gun in his possession while he was intoxicated, unloaded it, and then began cleaning? Did he handle his loaded gun at any time while he was inebriated? What kind of relationship, we have to ask, do Mr. and Mrs. Weber have? The guy's wife turned him in for cleaning his gun while intoxicated. I personally, I guess it's my personal opinion. It is my personal opinion. There's no guessing about it. It's just not a good idea to ever get intoxicated to the point of slurred speech, being unsteady on your feet, and unable to follow directions, as was Frederick Weber. He was unable to pass a field sobriety test, and some of those basic things were part of the field sobriety test. I think it is especially true if you have guns and ammo in the house. To get falling down, sloppy, embarrassing drunk in your own home when you have firearms at your disposal, I think is an especially bad idea. Anyway, let's think about Mr. and Mrs. Weber. I, I think about red flag laws when I look at this story. Now, it's, it's not a direct correlation to red flag laws, except someone who knew him turned him in. Now, with the red flag laws, very different. Uh, with the red flag laws, your property, your guns get confiscated uh, based on a tip that someone fears what you might do. It's absurd. It should never happen. Uh, red flag laws are unconstitutional and should be 
um, absolutely done away with. But in this case, we did have law enforcement observing Frederick Weber with a gun while demonstrably intoxicated. So he was actually doing something that his wife turned him in for, and based on what he was doing, they charged him. Okay, So it's not a red flag law uh, application. So despite the foolishness of his actions and without posing an actual threat to anyone and being in the privacy of his own home, in my humble opinion, IMHO for you tech speakers, charging him with a crime is out of bounds. If he had a gun and he was waving it around and being foolish with his wife, pointing it or making threats or things like that, different story. See, the defense lawyers in Weber's case have taken the case all the way to the Ohio Supreme Court. Their premise is that the unloaded gun does not constitute a viable firearm and that the law violates the U.S. and Ohio Constitution's right to bear arms. We'll see how that one goes out. I, I, don't, uh, I don't have a lot of sympathy for Mr. Weber, but on the basis of being able to do things in the privacy of your own home, uh, I think uh, I could join arms with Mr. Weber on that. Well, when it rains, it pours. Firearm malfunctions are never a welcome occurrence. If your gun goes click when you need it to go bang, usually the remedy, if the slide is in full battery, is the old faithful tap and rack. Now, when I use the term battery, I'm not talking about what makes your cell phone work or your car start in the morning. A battery is when the action of the gun, the part that actually fires the ammunition, is in the firing position. So if that action does not fully engage, you're failing to go into battery and the gun can't actually be fired. Okay, So a sharp tap on the bottom of the magazine ensures that the magazine is fully seated and racking that slide ejects the offending round of ammunition and chambers the next one that will hopefully go bang when you resume firing. Now, malfunctions like this are least welcome during an actual engagement with an aggressor. Someone is charging you and you're trying to fire on them. Someone is firing on you and you're trying to return fire. When that firearm goes click and not bang, it's not good news. Now, if you're able to very quickly recognize that the firearm went click, tap and rack and get back on target, that's great. But there may be some scenarios where you only have use of one hand. And there's a few, of course, you, you could have gotten, you could have taken fire and, and gotten one of your hands hit. Uh, God forbid, that's, that's a bad situation to be in. But you only have one hand to fire your firearm and that one hand also to clear your malfunction. Another situation where you might only have one hand is if you're in uh, close quarters combat. Your, your aggressor is, is right there, literally in your face. And as you try to fend him off with uh, your, your support arm, uh, maybe he tied that arm up. If uh, someone, and this of course goes for you too, if someone wraps their arm around your arm between the elbow and the shoulder and they pull it in tight, it's very hard for you to regain use of that arm. It's tied up. It's, it's bound up and you're not going to be able to use it. Same thing, by the way, if someone's attacking you and you can grab their arm under your arm and pull it in tight between the elbow and the shoulder, that's going to be pretty tough for them to use that arm. And then you can do nasty things with your other arm to them. 
But anyway, presume that your arm is the one that's tied up. You're in close quarters combat and you have your gun in your other hand. Now, if you push that gun into this guy's belly and pull the trigger, it may not go off because oftentimes when you push in, that will move the slide back a little bit, get you out of battery, and then you're not able to fire the gun. And that's that's a bad thing. You know, if you're getting overpowered by somebody and that happens, you're, you're kind of in a bad place. So what are you going to do? Goes click. You need it to go bang and you've only got your one hand, the hand that you're using to hold the gun. Well, tap and rack is still the rule. You can tap the bottom of that magazine by just tapping the bottom of that gun handle, that magazine, on your thigh close by. Just tap it like that. And then to rack, here's the tricky part. Then to rack, you can use the rear sights, those two dots on the back of your slide. You can use those rear sights and hook them on your good gun belt or the edge of a, a, a table or some surface. You can hook that on there and thrust your gun down to pull that slide back. And then when you come off of your belt or the edge of the counter or the table or whatever, let that slide snap forward. You're going to eject the bad round and put that slide back into battery and you're ready to go again. So if you're only one-handed and you have a malfunction happen, uh, all is not lost. There are steps that you can take. And this would be a very good thing to practice with, with an empty gun. Please try this with an empty gun. Um, yeah, just do it with an empty gun. All right. Uh, we don't want any accidents, any negligent discharges to go out and hurt anybody. Well, speaking of practice and training, I had a really terrific experience the other Saturday uh, training Young Sierra. Young Sierra is a 17 or 18-year-old, probably 17-year-old high school senior who has signed up for the Army. Uh, in July, after she graduates high school, she's going to uh, go to boot camp and uh, join the Army. She has signed up and she is in. She just has to wait for July to roll around. Well, this is exciting, and uh, I offered to give her a half hour of coaching. Uh, so she and her mom came here to uh, Apache Acres, and we had some uh, classroom time, and then we went out to the range to shoot some guns. This was not an official full-fledged class. This was simply uh, just giving her a good, positive first shooting experience. Well, uh, it went well. Uh, I always, my biggest thing on these coaching sessions or in the classes, especially when they're actually firing a live gun, is to see the smile creep across the faces of the brand new shooters. They realize, A, that they can do this, and B, that it's fun. It's fun, and they can do it, they can do it accurately, and be confident and fun and very pleased with themselves. That smile is awesome. I've often posted those smiles on my Facebook page because it's terrific. It brightens my day when I see that happening. So Sierra did very well. It reminded me of what I love about teaching, and that is that aha moment or that moment of satisfaction that whoever I'm teaching uh, gets when they get it. Now, I, I first learned that I liked teaching and may have had a knack for it back when I was in high school. I went to Votech school for a small engine repair. I wanted to be a motorcycle mechanic. And my teacher was not much of a, a teacher. He was a guy that retired out of the field and just kind of presented the information and you were supposed to get it. Well, this guy in my class, Bill, 
he usually didn't get it after our theory sessions and the teacher would send me in a room with Bill to get him up to speed on you know carburetor theory or ignition systems and things like that and it was there that I realized that I could make Bill understand these things and get him to the point where he could repeat back to me the operations of these systems I thought that was really great so I ended up finishing that year it was my second year of Votech I finished that went back to high school so I could go to college and become a teacher in my in my days I have taught I taught Bill I've taught whitewater canoeing as a, as a high school senior I was an instructor for the Appalachian Mountain Club I taught wood shop metal shop power technology I've taught teachers how to program websites for their own use in classrooms I have taught uh, STEM science technology engineering and math and now the safe and proficient use of firearms the common thread is in this story my joy and my love for teaching and as you may have guessed from these podcasts I also love firearms and getting people to be good at firearms and more competent at protecting themselves or just shooting for the fun of it so anyway that's kind of a little history uh, behind uh, AKS firearms instructions and my desire to teach uh, plus a little shout out there to uh, Sierra a shout out not a shootout I wouldn't want to get in a shootout with Sierra because turns out she's a pretty good shot so if you want to get it with firearms do you feel uh, like you haven't had a lot of training or it's been a long time you're interested but you're not sure you want to just go to the range and start firing send me an email please safe shooter at aksfi.com and we can arrange for some uh, some education some coaching or some classes uh, and it'll be a good thing and you'll be giving me that smile saying I get it and I like it well there was a, a rape and an attempted abduction from a rail trail in York County, Pennsylvania, it's just across the Susquehanna River from where I live. This happened at Knife Point. The assailant had a knife and uh, attacked the victim, raped her, and attempted to make away with her. In the uh, news article, which I found on MSN.com, in the news article, uh, the uh, victim said, and this is a quote, I wasn't paying attention and it could have been easily avoided uh, to be honest so as the story goes she was on the rail trail she had her her uh, earbuds in and she was talking on the phone and then this guy came out of quote-unquote nowhere with his knife and did his dirty deeds well don't be defenseless take your lesson from this woman her situation and her admission don't be defenseless get trained get ready and get armed but most importantly don't give potential attackers the weapon of surprise this bad guy was armed with a knife but his most effective weapon was the element of surprise she was a victim of cell phone absorption that's my own term thank you very much you may use it feel free no royalties necessary the first level of the color code of awareness, which is no stranger to you if you listen to this podcast or look at my Facebook posts, the color code of awareness level one is white. And white awareness is really no awareness at all. And this account of this woman is a classic example of condition white. When we define 
the color code and we get to the first level, condition white, we use this cell phone absorption as an example of how to be totally clueless as to the environment around you and how very vulnerable you make yourself when you are that way. And if you just look as you go around in your towns and your streets and you see people, there's a lot of cell phone absorption or people doing other things that makes them completely clueless as to what's going on. That makes them very vulnerable. These are all examples of condition white, and I'm begging you, please, don't be white. All right, fair warning, fair warning, <laughs> fair warning in the morning, except it's the afternoon. Last month in Reno, Nevada, a 14-year-old boy was home alone minding his own business. Two Utes broke into the home and beat up this boy. Did you catch the movie reference? My cousin Vinny, Utes. Anyway, it's not important. Funny movie. If uh, a lot of profanity in a movie doesn't bother you, uh, you can uh, watch that movie, and it is uh, rather funny, despite the profanity. All right. Anyway, these two Utes broke into the home and beat up this boy, and after giving him a thorough beating, they proceeded to rob the house. As they left, they told the boy that they would be back later. Well, a day and a half later, they did return in the wee hours of the morning, and uh, this time, it was uh, attended by an adult. There was an adult home, and he was armed. He or she. It does not in the story specify whether it was a he or she. The adult was home, and the adult was armed. When the young invaders were confronted by the adult, one of the invaders, one of the Utes, pulled out a gun. The adult, without hesitation, opened fire. Incapacitated one, which means uh, made a serious enough hit that uh, the person could not continue doing anything, dropped him. And the other one was hit in the leg and was wounded. Later, the one with the wounded leg uh, went to the hospital where uh, he was then arrested. So these brain boys previously demonstrated their intent to do harm, announced their return to do the same thing, and then stepped it up by brandishing a lethal weapon. Not going to be a very long court case when they were prosecuting these boys. They're fortunate that they lived long enough to learn a lesson and will likely have some extended time to think it over. Age does not matter. Harm caused and further harm that would have been caused uh, had they not been stopped uh, is not lessened simply because these were Utes. Whether they were Utes or 30 years old, it doesn't matter. The threat was real. The crime was real. Being young and foolish is not an excuse. So when a lethal threat uh, occurs, the lethal threat merits the use of deadly force in defense. And that's what happened here. Thank God no one died. At least according to the story, the one that was hit the most severely was incapacitated. Did not mention that the, uh, that the individual died. So, take that to heart. A, if you're young and you're listening... Don't fool around. Don't think that you're going to receive mercy and forgiveness just because you're young. Respect people's rights, their life, and their property. And if you are a protector or in a position to protect yourself, do not hesitate to respond with deadly force when you are met with a lethal threat. 
Well, folks, thanks for checking in, and I really hope you stop by next time for more tips, tactics, and tantamount Second Amendment issues. On behalf of me and Cesar Beccaria, arrivederci. This has been Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction. Find us on the net at aksfi.com and AKS Firearms Instruction on Facebook. Go to the show notes for links to streaming services that carry this podcast, and please consider subscribing. Thank you for listening. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed.